0: Hi church, well wasn't that just so special as we just take a few moments this Remembrance Sunday to remember all of those men and women who've given so much, sometimes even at the cost of their lives so we can enjoy the freedom and the liberty that we are able to enjoy today. It's something we should never ever take lightly. I want to thank our team and the contributors from our church who are able to put some of those segments together. And what a Sunday it is, it's not just Remembrance Sunday, it's a Sunday where we find ourselves in the midst of so much happening, not just in our country, but in our world. We, of course, are entered into this second lockdown, and I know speaking to so many people in our church... People are feeling just so heavy and discouraged and uncertain and unsure. And and we're feeling discouraged as well. You know, we were at the cusp of being able to reopen our buildings and get our physical gatherings back. But this awful disease continues to rip through our country and our world, just taking so much from so many people. And of course, this week, you would have seen the terror threat in the UK has been raised to severe after a spattering of just horrific terror attacks in Europe. You'll know that there's so much mistrust and disunity in our country about our government and politics and all the things happening there. And it may have slipped your attention, but there's also been a pretty big political thing happening in our world in the States as well as America is elected their new president. And we as the world have watched on. There just is so much happening, isn't there? And we, of course, are still in our follow campaign. We're entering into the last month of that Our Autumn campaign, looking at what it means to be able to effectively follow Jesus in the 21st century. And with all that happening in our minds this weekend, I'd love to talk to you around the topic and the subject of following in the storm. So if you are a note taker, I'd encourage you to write that down as the title, Following in the Storm. Get your Bibles out and we're going to be going to Matthew 14. And I'm going to jump in the middle of one story and then take us straight into another story in the Gospels, an account that happened in the life of Jesus. So let me just set up a context for you and a background as you turn with me to Matthew 14, verse 20. Jesus is going around the Judean countryside he has just suffered a massive personal loss in that his cousin John the person who literally prepared the way for the Messiah he was a prophet who talked about the coming of Jesus he has been imprisoned and subsequently beheaded by the ruler of the the region Herod and Jesus is just feeling that hurt he was very very close to John as I said it was his cousin but also his friend. But of course, the crowd still want to see Jesus. They want to hear this miracle man preach. They want to see him do the amazing things that he's doing. He's releasing people who've been in years of emotional bondage and spiritual bondage. He's seeing physical miracles happen just with words leaving his lips. People are absolutely in awe of what Jesus is doing. And and even though John has been beheaded and Jesus is feeling so low, we're told that Jesus has just so much compassion on the crowds who want to come and listen to him preach. And so we find Jesus sitting down in a boat on the shore. And 5,000 men, we are told, let alone women and children. So probably upwards of 15,000 people are sat hanging on every word of Jesus. And when Jesus preaches, he preaches. He doesn't just preach for 10 or 15 minutes. We imagine that this scene as these 15,000 odd people are sat there on the beach listening to Jesus preach, are hanging on his every word for Hours and it gets to a time where the disciples are getting a little bit antsy because they can see, although the people are loving listening to Jesus, they are seeing the sun go down and realizing that these people haven't had any sustenance, they haven't eaten or, or drank for hours and hours. And they start to get a little bit nervous and talk to Jesus to say, Jesus, you know, we're in sort of the middle of nowhere, there's no Asda, there's no local co op, there's not even an Aldi or Lidl, and they're everywhere. And these people need to eat at some point. I know what you're doing is important, and I Know what you're doing is good, but Jesus, we need to think of the physical implications of this as well. And I can imagine Jesus looking there and almost smiling for a moment and saying, "Well, don't worry, lads." As he looks at his twelve disciples, you can feed them. And I can imagine them all getting a little bit panicked. What do you mean, Jesus? We can feed them. We're, we're, we're not qualified to do that. As I said, there's no liddle. We can probably try and rustle up some packed lunches from somewhere, but not enough to feed this many people. I can imagine Judas getting a little bit nervous. So Judas carries all the money, hiding his wallet and pushing it away as he looks around and, and the people are starting to get hungry. And Jesus says, well, don't worry. What do we have? And and the disciples rustle around and they chat to the few people close to them. They said, well, there's a little lad here. He has five loaves and two fishes, but almost sarcastically, what on earth are we going to do with that? And Jesus said, don't worry, guys. Give it to me and let's see what God will do. So Jesus breaks the bread. He takes the fishes and it miraculously multiplies. It says that all of the people began to eat. And we pick up the story, as I said, in Matthew 14, verse 20. And they all ate and were satisfied. They didn't just have a crumb or a nibble, they were full up. And the disciples packed up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Now, I've read over this so many times and never really stopped to take significance of that verse, which I'm going to look at in just a moment. But if you do believe in marking up your Bible, take a highlighter or a pencil or a pen and underline that because we'll be going back to that. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, as I said, besides women and children, so probably 15 odd thousand. And then after this, verse 22, immediately, this is straight after that instance, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side of the shore while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went alone up onto a mountainside to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And then shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. So these disciples weren't just struggling, it says in Mark, against the oars for 20 minutes or 15 minutes. It would have been hours. It was shortly before dawn that Jesus went out to them, walking on water in the middle of the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost. They said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, guys, it is I, do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. And then Peter got down out of the boat and he walked on water and came toward Jesus. It's almost said nonchalantly. It's an amazing miracle. Not only is Jesus, the son of God, walking on water, but now Peter, the fisherman, who we know puts his foot in his mouth all the time, is now walking on water toward Jesus. But when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Again, that word immediately, verse 31, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat together, the wind died down. So as soon as Jesus got into the boat, the storm dissipated. And then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, Jesus, you are the son of God. Let's pause there. There is so much we can pull out of this account, but I just want to focus on a few things for the time we have together on this stream, whether you're watching live on our church online platform, Facebook Live or YouTube, or maybe you are watching back at a later date. But there is so much we can learn 2,000 years later right here in the 21st century from that little account. And I mentioned that verse, didn't I, in the feeding of the 5,000, that there were 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Matthew 14, verse 20. And so many years, I've been reading this story for years and years. It's a Sunday school favourite right from the beginning of my memory. I can remember this being preached in Sunday school, but I've never stopped to consider why there were 12 basketfuls left over. And it almost seems like Jesus misjudges the situation. The son of God, and he makes a mistake, he's, he's sort of overshot it a little bit. But I wanna tell you that Jesus never bodges a blessing. He doesn't make a mess of the miracle. It's not just doing it just for extras. I believe in every blessing, Jesus has a purpose. Even if the disciples at the time were thinking, "Wow, well, goodness me, Jesus overdone himself a little bit here. We've got too much left over. And so often our Bibles can be unhelpful in the fact that these stories are split up in my bible there's a there's a new paragraph after that verse in verse 21 where it talks about the 5,000 men being fed besides with the children there's a new paragraph with a new heading jesus walks on water and it makes us split up the two stories but they actually flow immediately into each other again verse 22 starts with immediately after this jesus told disciples to get in a boat and go to the other side of the lake. And this is a huge lake. It's not just a little thing. I mean, it is miles long. We know this because, of course, the storm is raging. We see in Mark that there were three or four miles out from shore where the storm hit. But immediately after the leftover baskets, they got into the boat. So I had this moment where I thought, well, of course, if there's 12 basketfuls left over, there's 12 disciples. I bet each and every disciple opened his rucksack, put in the bread and probably forgot about it, jumped in the boat. And I can imagine it was very fair weather when they did after the crowds had been sent home and they pushed out to shore. And it was when they were in the middle of the lake, hours and hours later, they were straining against the oars, the same account tells us in Mark and John. They were right in the middle of this storm with the wind whipping their faces. And I wanna tell you it's so often in those storms we can get consumed by storms. As I said, we are in this weekend with so much going on and that's not even just personally, that's corporately. All of us are facing this uncertainty, this emotional drain of the concept of another lockdown. And, and of course, we all have our own storms, our personal battles we deal with day to day, whether that's a physical, medical diagnosis, whether it's a straining in a relationship, whether it's financial worry because of furlough ending at the end of the month and, and job uncertainty. We all face storms. And, and the lessons we can learn here is when we are in the midst of the storm we need to take courage but here is what I saw that I've never seen before in the midst of the storm Jesus had given the disciples sustenance from a previous blessing let me say that again In the midst of the storm, the disciples had probably at their feet in their rucksack, each and every one of them, sustenance in the storm. They were literally in the middle of the lake. There was nothing around them. It was dark. It was terrifying. These are experienced sailors and they're straining against the oars. Muscles are aching. They're hungry. They're tired. And I can imagine a moment where Peter looks down and he's breathing heavily. He's trying to captain this ship and get his friends the disciples of Jesus over it to the shore he looks down and he remembers there was 12 basketfuls left each and every one of us has sustenance to get us through this ordeal as i said before friends ladies gentlemen children whoever's watching jesus never wastes a blessing when we are in the midst of a storm whether that's personally or corporately as a church or a country we need to remember the one who holds us I want to say this and write this down if you're a note taker. In the midst of the storm, bow your head as the norm. I'll say that one more time. In the midst of a storm, bow your head as the norm. Facing that physical exertion and and Peter and the disciples rowing and rushing and panting. As I said, I can imagine Peter sat there on his oar looking down and seeing the sustenance opening up his rucksacks, pulling out a piece of bread and maybe a little bit of fish eating it and feeling strength reignite in his bones. But it wouldn't just physically remind him and his body of the strength he needed. I believe it would have emotionally woken him up and spiritually woken him up, knowing that the person they followed had command and is a miracle worker and wouldn't let them go to waste. Remember, it was Jesus who sent them over to the other side of the shore. If Jesus sends you, let me tell you, you are going to reach your destination. And I was just reminded again, reading about this, of a verse we looked at right at the beginning of the first lockdown. It was literally week one of the first lockdown. It's Paul talking to the church in Philippi. He says this in Philippians 4 verse 6. It says, do not be anxious about anything, not nothing, finances, relationships, lockdown, diseases. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and thanks." give in present your request to God and he will give you a peace that transcends all understanding how can you be thankful in the midst of Turmoil. How can you be thankful in the midst of a storm? Let me tell you, the best way to be thankful is to remember what Jesus has done before. And I tell you, when we are in the midst of the storm, if we can take a moment, if we can sit down at the yaw, just bow our head as the norm, take a breath and take a moment and recall the miracles that Jesus has done in our lives and through our lives, in our church and through our church, it will give you strength and sustenance to make it to the next point in the storm. Even in the midst of the deepest, darkest night, let me tell you, if you can remember what God has done before, it will give you a hope and a confidence to get you through to what he has for you Next. I love that, that that the leftover miracle, although they didn't see the purpose of it at the time, although they thought Jesus might have overshot it, Jesus had a purpose in that moment. He knew that these guys would need reinvigorating spiritually, emotionally and physically in just a few hours time. So Jesus always will give us sustenance in the storm remember what is done before you know the act of remembering is so so powerful Scientists tell us when we recall something or remember something that made us feel good, those same emotions and that same feeling we had in the actual instance will be evoked back in our emotions. And I believe in our spirit, where we can remember the goodness of God in one area over here. We can literally pull that blessing into the moment we are facing in the storm. So number one, Jesus gives us sustenance in the midst of A storm. Number two, I want to tell you that Jesus intercedes for us in the storm. It's really, really poignant that Jesus sends the disciples away and he literally turns in the other direction and begins to walk up a huge, huge mountainside, I believe. And we know that Jesus was there hours and hours as the disciples rode out. But here is a picture I had reading this account again, probably for the millionth time. I've read it so many times. I can imagine as Jesus, he stood on that mountain top, Maybe just pouring out his heart to God, thanking God for the gift of John in his life, uh, getting reinvigorated in the spirit. I don't just believe he was praying for himself and his ministry. I also believe he was praying for his disciples who he knew would be facing a storm. And I'm taking preacher's liberty here a little bit, but this is how I see it in my mind. Jesus on the top of a big mountain, the disciples down in the sea. I believe somewhere in my spirit that Jesus was able to look out over the coast into the midst of the storm. He probably would have seen the storm before the disciples did, but he could see that little boat bobbing in the midst of the storm, And I believe as he looked at the disciples who wouldn't have been able to see Jesus, who probably wouldn't have even been able to see the mountain, I believe Jesus was interceding for them. There's a beautiful verse tucked away in Romans 8.34 that said Jesus who died and now rose again is standing at the right hand of the father interceding for us. Wow. Let me tell you, to have an advocate who is literally the son of God is pretty special. And as you are facing your storms and the clouds are pressing in tightly, the rain is whipping your face, the wind is blowing the sails and the strain in your body just feels a breaking point. Although you may not be able to see Jesus in that moment, I believe Jesus can absolutely see and is praying and interceding for you. I love that picture. Jesus stood on a mountaintop at a cliff's face, looking out into the middle distance, seeing his disciples. And you'll know as well as me, when you're in the midst of something, it's so difficult to see outside of that. When you're in a storm, all you can see is mist and fog and rain and lightning. But if you are removed from that, you can look into the storm from a distance, which I believe is what Jesus does. And here's what's really, really important and something I believe we need to absolutely learn from Jesus. Jesus doesn't just pray for them. He then goes and walks out to them. It's just before dawn Jesus comes out. So again, they've been at sea for hours at breaking point. They would have had their sustenance, but they needed another miracle to get them through the next stage. So what does Jesus do? Does he pray for them and leave them? No. He prays for them and then he's part of the answer to his own prayer. Church, I want to tell you today, wherever you're at with Jesus, however long you've been following him, you can be an answer to your own prayer. And more than that, you can be the answer to somebody else's prayer. We're not told, but I wonder how many times in that boat the disciples shouted out to God, God, please just give us a little. God, please just help us. God, please just send a break in the storm. God, please send us someone to be able to help us get out of this mess. And what happens? Jesus comes walking above the storm, above the waves, straight to them. And straight away, as the disciples see this figure coming out of the gloom, they are terrified. They think it is a ghost. And these are people who walk with Jesus every day. And let me tell you, there'll be times in your life where everything is so dark, you won't even be able to recognise Jesus, who is just a few paces away. It's a lesson for us that we need to keep our eyes peeled all the time. And when we're not sure what should we do, we should shout out. What happens immediately, Jesus calls out, says, take courage. It is I. Don't let the darkness of your situation distort the vision of Jesus in your life. Do not let the darkness of any situation, a personal one, a corporate one, a worldwide one, distort your vision of Jesus. Call out to Him, shout out to Him immediately. I believe He will answer. And let me tell you, friends, as people in our church right now who are praying for something, you can just pick up the phone to someone who you may have had on your heart or in your mind. You might just wonder what that is. I believe sometimes and oftentimes that can be the little nudge of the Holy Spirit telling you just pick up a phone. Obviously, we can't meet or corporately gather, but we can FaceTime, we can Zoom. It's never been easier to get in contact with someone and meet a need and encourage them and this is exactly what jesus is doing he doesn't just pray for them he's part of the answer to the prayer you know what god always works but so often in our world he works through his bride his church and that is you and that is i so number one jesus gives us sustenance in the storm number two jesus intercedes for us And number three, write this down. We need to be a people of innovation and not hibernation. We need to be a people, a church, a body of innovation, doing a new thing and not hibernation, tucking our heads between our legs and hoping for the storm to ride out. Now, you know that many mammals in the winter seasons go into what we call hibernation. They, they bury themselves in a cave or a hole to see out the winter. They, they tuck their heads in their laps. They curl up and they go to sleep for months and months. And let me tell you, church, we're in a season where we can't meet. And there's all sorts of things kicking off on my Facebook profile, as I'm sure it's in yours. Pastors congregants all sorts of people in the church who are just so uh, outraged at the moment that we are not allowed or able to meet in our buildings and let me tell you it is really really easy to get into this place where we just get so fired up and worked up because we feel like our liberties are being taken but Jesus's church is far bigger than the four walls is it important to meet absolutely do I want us to gather together in corporate worship more than anything but let me tell you I believe in the midst of this storm in the church storm where we can't gather Jesus is still working I believe God still has a plan I believe God still has a purpose for his church which isn't going to be dictated to whether we can meet or not and the, the the posture of so many people I've seen, pastors, congregants, as I've said, uh, 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 has been, well, if we can't meet, then surely we, we can't do what we've always done. We can't be the church. Well, I believe that is absolutely rubbish. We know from 1 Corinthians 3.16 that we are now God's temple. It's not the bricks and the mortar. It's not the plaster. It's not the lights. It's not the stage. It's not the worship team. It's each and every one of us playing the part in the body of Christ being his church and and the easy thing to do in this season is to hibernate is to 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 crunch up and and to be upset and to be distraught and woe is me and try and ride out the storm till we can go back to what was you see these creatures hibernate hoping to get through winter to go back to a new spring into a new summer to do the cycle again and again do you know what church I honestly believe we will never get back what we once had and I don't think that's a bad thing I think what we to come and what we are going to have is going to be far better than what was before. I believe that every time we look at church history, whenever there was pressure on the church, whenever the church had to do something new, whenever the rug was pulled out from under their feet, they rose up and did something even better. They began to innovate and church. This is not a time where we need to hibernate and just hope we can get back to what was. This is a time where we need to book up, put our head up and begin to innovate. And we see this in this account, don't we, with Peter. As Jesus identifies himself to his friends, his beloved disciples, all the disciples sigh. Oh my goodness. Thank you, Lord. You've sent Jesus. He is going to save us. They they, they let go of their oars. They sat up and they waited for Jesus to come to the boat, but not Peter. Peter had a different idea. Peter didn't see an obstacle now overcome because Jesus was here. Peter saw an opportunity to walk into a new fullness with Jesus himself. I believe the disciples were all looking around, waiting for Jesus to jump in the boat. But what does Peter do? He looks at Jesus and said, Jesus, if it's you, let me come to you on the water. Let me walk into a new phase of church let me walk into a new phase of ministry let me do something that defies every possibility and church this needs to be our attitude i love the fact that peter asks for it jesus doesn't invite him peter asks peter puts the invitation to jesus and what does jesus say one word come And I believe Jesus loves that about his followers. I believe Jesus loves that audacity in his disciples when we just begin to ask for something new from him. We see an opportunity that looks absolutely ridiculous. That looks impossible, but we just chance our arm and say, Jesus, if it's you, call me out upon the water. And Peter got to do this phenomenal thing. Was it perfect? No, because he got distracted in the midst of it. But I love what happened. Immediately as he began to sink, Jesus held out his arm. Let me tell you, church, when we do new things, we'll make mistakes. We probably won't get it right 100% of the time or even the first time. But let me tell you, although we can fail, Jesus, his strong arm never fails. He pulled him up. And he pulled him back into the boat. Peter had experienced a brand new reality. He opened up a cataclysmic thing in his mind, I'm sure, which helped him walk into new areas of ministry in his future. Let's be as audacious as Peter in this season and be asking Jesus to do something new and radical in us personally and corporately as a church. And as I come to a close, write that down. Let's make sure we're a people of innovation, not Hibernation. I just want to encourage you, as I said, that there's been a lot of conversation, not particularly in LCF, but among Christendom, about the meeting in our churches. As I said, I believe it is so important. I believe it's a big part of our future, but I believe Jesus is doing something. He's refining us. He's he's showing us what it means to be church on mission. We know, don't we, at Easter time when we celebrate the, firstly, the death of Jesus for our sins, but then the awesome resurrection of him coming back to life. We know when that first happened, something happened in the temple in Jerusalem. Now, we know the temple, was built to house God this is what the Jewish people believed that God's very presence resided in the holy of holies and at the door of the holy of holies there was this huge magnificent curtain that sealed off where God's presence would manifestly sit and at the resurrection of Jesus when Jesus bodily came back to life the curtain we told in the temple was torn from top to bottom it ripped but what we know after that the spirit of God was released. The early church was released out of the temple into the world. That The spirit of God no longer resided in bricks and mortar. It resided in the people of God. But for 40 more years before the eventual destruction of Jerusalem and the temple by a Roman general called Titus in 70 AD, so 40 years After the church was released, the spirit of God was releasing his people. The Jews were still going to the temple every single day and worshipping God, who they thought was present but had left the building. Wow. I just had this picture of this huge, massive curtain being torn, and someone, maybe a number of someone's, had to sit there and sew it back up from top to bottom, stitch after stitch after stitch, and they tricked themselves into thinking that the manifest presence of God was still in the Holy of Holies. They didn't change what they did. They kept doing what they were doing for 40 more years. And eventually, as I said, as Titus came with four legions, that's 24,000 Roman soldiers and laid siege to Jerusalem in 70 AD. The temple was set on fire and destroyed and the Jerusalem people were broken. A million odd people were killed and I think 90 odd thousand were taken into captivity. But the biggest loss for the Jerusalem people, the Jews at the time, was the burning of the temple, which they believed God manifestly still resided. So here's what I want to tell you. God is looking for servants in the church, not a seamstress. He's looking for people who will follow him, who are so caught up in his presence, who are so desperate to follow after him. Not someone who will sit in a temple where his spirit has already gone and sew up a curtain that served a purpose for a time, but now is absolutely obsolete wow, isn't that just a powerful picture? Yes, we will meet again. Absolutely. But let's not get distracted by what is happening at the moment. Never before, we're told, have so many people tuned in to see what church is all about, to see who this Jesus person is. Church is so accessible at the moment, literally at the click of a button. Do you know what I say? those Jews were were so upset and devastated about their temple. What they didn't realise is their church had left 40 years before. It had started to spread and this backwater sect of the Jewish religion in 300 years literally overtook the most powerful empire the world has ever seen. Only through God can that happen? So church, let's make sure we are remembering the sustenance in the storm, That act of remembering the blessings of God, the miracles he has done in us and through us before will give us strength and sustainability in the midst of a storm let us remember whatever we are facing that even when we don't realize it even though we may not see it Jesus is interceding for us at the right hand of the father let us also remember that we can be the answer to prayer for our brothers and sisters at this moment in time please do pick up the phone send a facetime send a zoom link we're told aren't we Hebrews 10 24 to 25 to encourage each other to good works to not neglect meeting together and goodness me although that's not not possible physically there's so many ways we can encourage and meet together at the moment and thirdly let's be a people of innovation and not hibernation let's not hibernate and hide our faces away from the world at this time let's do what peter did and begin to ask jesus jesus is there something that i can do can you use me in this impossible situation to show brand new radical possibilities through the kingdom of god So we're going to go into a time now of worship. We're going to sing the song Waymaker. And isn't that just a poignant song for this season? Even when I don't see it, God, you are working. Even when I don't realise it, God, you are working, the lyrics go. So I'd encourage you wherever you are to stand up, to posture your hearts now in a place of worship. And let's declare that we are going to be servants and not a seamstress in this crazy season we find ourselves in. Amen. I met.